Welcome to Redemption Church. You're listening to our weekly podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Well, all right, guys, this is it. Big day because today we start the book of Mark. We're starting a brand new series. And if you've been hanging out with us here at Redemption, one of our favorite things to do is to pick a book and then to study that book. So we're starting in verse 1, chapter 1, and then we're going to work our way all the way to the very end. We're going to learn the ins and outs of the gospel of Mark, and we're titling this sermon series, The Simple Gospel, because that's what Mark is. Mark is the simple gospel, and we live in a day and age to where there's a lot of confusion and controversy surrounding the person of Jesus. Who is Jesus? What did Jesus do? What did Jesus say? Many people are asking that question. They're, they're thinking and they're talking about who is Jesus? Was he just a man? Was he just a leader? Was he some rabbi? Was he just some teacher who said some good things to teach us how to live good moral lives? Did he actually live? Did he actually die? Did he do the things that they said that he did? Who is Jesus? That is a very important question, and today there is a lot of people who like to make it very complicated, but here at Redemption, we believe that the gospel is simple, and so we're going to be studying the book of Mark because Mark is the simple gospel, and let me tell you a couple of things about the gospel of Mark. Okay, Mark, um, he is the author of this book, and it's what we call a gospel. Now, there's four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And within those Gospels, there's something called a synoptic. Can y'all say that with me? Big word, synoptic. You guys sound so smart. Um, Synoptic is the first three. John, he just does his own thing. But out of the other three, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they're telling the, the same story, but they focus in on, highlight different insights of Jesus's life. So it's not like Jesus came four different times. Right? He came one time, he, he died one time, and each author is picking up on different aspects of the life and the ministry of Jesus. And what's cool is Mark was written first. Mark was the first of these Gospels to be written, and it was written in the 60s. Okay, not the 1960s, AD 60. So think a long time ago. And he's writing first, and he's talking about Jesus's life. So it's kind of like a biographical sketch of the life of Jesus, his teachings, his healings, his miracles, his words, his works, his deeds, his death, burial, and resurrection. He's writing about the life and the ministry of Jesus. And so Mark writes first, and then behind him comes Matthew and Luke, and then later on, here comes John. And what's fascinating and so important about the gospel of Mark is that it was the first one to be written, and then the others, they come in and they take Mark's gospel and they use that to be able to craft their own story. And so that really just goes to show the priority and the importance of studying the book of Mark. And so I'm really excited to start the book of Mark, and I'll tell you a couple of reasons why before we get started. I know that many of you are new Christians, that a lot of you are new to faith, you're, you're new to church, and you come to the Bible and you wonder, where do I begin? Where do I start? Mark is the perfect place to start. 
that Mark is the simple gospel. And those of you who want to understand and know who Jesus is, Mark is the best place for you to begin. In fact, Mark was um, one of the first books that I ever read as a brand new Christian. Like many of you, I was raised in church, but I rejected Jesus. That growing up, well, I heard all the Sunday school stories. I, I, I grew up in a Christian school. I had praying grandparents, and I knew all the stories about Jesus, but I didn't believe it. And then as I grew up, I had all these different opinions and ideas about who Jesus was. But whenever I became a Christian, I started to read my Bible because I want to know who was Jesus. Not what other people told me, but what the Bible says he is. I wanted to learn who he was for myself. And so I started reading the book of Mark. And it was actually in reading Mark's gospel that I came to fall in love with Jesus, had a deep appreciation uh, and understanding of the inspiration, the infallibility, and, and, and just the authority that comes along with the scriptures. And so many of you, you're new Christians, you're just getting started, you're coming back into the church for the first time, maybe for the first time in a long time, and Mark is perfect for you. Because I believe that new Christians, you are going to grow through the course of this series but we're also doing it for the mature Christians. For those of you who have been following Jesus for five years, 10 years, 20 years, even 50 years, you've been following Jesus for a long time and you've probably read Mark's gospel on numerous occasions. And as you're reading it, what, what you're doing is you're coming to the scriptures and if you're like me, here's what you do. I already know that story. So you'll open up your Bible and you'll be like, oh wait, here's you know Jesus's baptism. Yeah, I know that one. You'll flip the page and you're like, oh, here's the cut the hole in the ceiling, lower their friends down, okay, turn the page, okay, here's Jesus with the man in the graveyard, cast out the demons, okay, know that one. Oh, wait, here's the feeding the 5,000, okay, know that story, All right, here's the transfiguration, I know that death, burial, resurrection, okay, I've already read all of these things. And so you're very familiar with the story, which is a good thing, but it can also become a problem because familiarity breeds contempt. And many times we come to the scriptures and we think we already know everything. And I want you to see that for those of you who are following Jesus, that there is, there is something more for us to learn. There's something more for us to grasp. And so I believe that those who are mature Christians through the course of this series, you're going to fall in love with Jesus all over again. And you're going to recapture the wonder and the splendor and the beauty that is the gospel. And so we're doing it for those more mature Christians. Um, but another reason that we're doing it is for me as your pastor. Okay, I want you to know that as your pastor, um, I, I love you and I care for you. And the, the most joyous privilege that I have is to be able to be Ashley's husband, to be um, Esther's dad, and to be your pastor. That I get to preach the Bible. It's absolutely one of my favorite things for, for me to be able to do. And the Gospels are some of the most difficult and challenging portions of the Scriptures to be able to teach. And so I believe that as your pastor, I'm going to grow through this that I don't know if y'all know this or not, but I'm kind of young. Um, Redemption's my first church, and it's going to be my last church, and I'm going to give my whole life to be able to serve you. And I'm still learning how to do this. Preaching every week, sometimes it can be a little stressful. And so during the course of this series, um, I believe that I'm going to grow as your pastor through my preaching, um, through our loving, through our serving together, because the gospels are comforting, they're convicting, and they're definitely challenging. And as your pastor, right, I don't want to just preach the parts of the Bible that I like. I don't want to just preach the parts of the Bible that I'm good at. 
I don't want to preach the parts of the Bible that everybody agrees with and that people keep coming back every week and we could big, draw a big crowd. What I want to do is what Paul tells young Timothy, to preach the word. And my hope and my prayer is that at the end of my life, I will be able to say, I preach the full counsel of God's word to my people at redemption because my job is to preach the Bible. And so I love you and I thank you for allowing me the great privilege to be able to preach the Bible here at Redemption because I believe that God's word causes us to grow. I believe that those of you who are new Christians through this series, you are going to grow. I believe that those of us who are mature Christians through this series, you are going to grow. I believe that our church is going to grow, not just numerically, which we will, but also spiritually, all of us growing together because God's word makes us grow. Amen? So there's another reason that we're going to be doing it, because um, Mark is actually one of the shortest Gospels. It's only 16 chapters long. Some of you here are like, 16 chapters? That's the shortest? Well, compared to the others, yeah, it's, it's, it's short. And so as we're going to be teaching the series, we're going to start in verse 1, and we're going to work our way all the way to the very end, even doing the, the part at the end that's really debated. Is it really a part of the Bible, or do the early manuscripts have it? Yeah, we're going to do the last section of Mark 2. And so we're going to study the entire book, and it's going to take us two years. That's right. I said two years. Some of your, your heads just exploded. Wait, we're going to spend two years studying one single book? Yes. We're going to take two years, but because I love you, um, and I don't want you to freak out, you can take a deep breath. We actually decided to break it into five individual sermon series spread across two years. It's going to be about 60-something sermons long, and each series is going to be about 12 sermons. And so we're going to take breaks in between. We're going to give some topical messages just to kind of keep things fresh. So, so don't freak out. I, don't say that I never did anything for you either, because I do, I do love you. Um, I would lose my mind teaching 60 straight weeks, and I know that you guys would be okay with that. So um, that's, my, that's my introduction. I, my hope, my prayer, my goal for us in studying the book of Mark is that through the course of this series, no matter who we are, no matter where we come from, no matter what we've been taught, no matter what our upbringing is, that we would come to know, we would come to love, we would come to serve, and we would come to see exactly who Jesus is. Because the good news is that Jesus is the gospel. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Mark chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 1. We're only going to do one verse in Mark today. Only going to do one verse, and we're going to do a Bible study through the New Testament. I want to introduce you to my friend named Mark. And so we're going to look at Jesus is the Gospel, which is the sermon title. And we're going to talk about three things. We're going to talk about the man named Mark. We're going to talk about the, the mission of Mark. And then lastly, we're going to talk about the message of Mark. Are you guys ready to start the book of Mark? Are you all ready to start the book of Mark? Yeah. Good, because we were going to do it anyway. Here's what Mark chapter 1, verse 1 says, starting off. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. That's it. That's all we're going to do today. I told you it's going to take us two years. By this rate, we might knock it out in 10. Let me tell you about my friend named Mark. Mark really is fascinating. He's actually my um, favorite character in all of the New Testament. His story is just, it is just so moving. Mark is mentioned more than any other gospel writer, minus John, because John likes to talk about himself. But Mark is mentioned throughout the New Testament in books like Philippians and Philemon and Colossians and First and Second Timothy and First Peter. The Bible mentions Mark a lot. But what's so interesting is that when we first meet Mark, he wasn't actually a follower of Jesus. 
that Mark, he wasn't a disciple. He wasn't in Jesus's inner circle. Mark wasn't an apostle. Mark, when we first meet him, he was not a follower of Jesus. Um, there's this curious line in um, Mark chapter 14, verse 51, that gives us a little bit of insight into it. Um, it's this really peculiar, strange, odd verse in the Bible. You ever read the Bible and you're like, that's weird. Why is that in there? This is one of those sections. And um, scholars and commentators and church historians, they say that this is the very first time that we meet Mark. And um, it's the last day of Jesus's life, that Jesus is about to go to the cross. He's about to be crucified. He's about to die for the sins of the world. He's about to, to atone for all of those things. And so, so Jesus is in the garden. He just had the last supper with his disciples. He's going to the garden where he's praying. And then all of a sudden, Judas comes in and betrays him with a kiss. You guys might be familiar with that story. So as Judas betrays him, there's a riot that breaks out. The Roman guards are there. The Jewish leaders are there. There's a fight. There's a mob. Dude gets his ear cut off. Jesus heals him. It's an insane scene. And then all of a sudden, we have this, we have this verse. Here's, here's what it says. Mark 14, 51. And a young man followed him, that's being Jesus, with nothing but a linen cloth on and ran away naked. Really? Wait, why is that in there? Is that, you think that's like a little strange? So it's like this, this, this moment, this most pivotal moment in all of the story, in all of human history. We got Jesus, we got the Romans, we got the disciples, we got the religious leaders. They're attacking, there's a fight, there's a mob, and then there's a young dude going commando. You're like, that's a little strange, right? Dude's just streaking right through the garden in the middle of the story. Right? Why is that? Why is that in there? A lot of scholars, they say that this is actually Mark's way of writing himself into the story. That Mark is a young man, probably about 13, maybe 14 years old. He was there watching and witnessing, but he was not actually following Jesus. That he was a part of the crowd, but he was not actually following Jesus with his life. That he was there, but he wasn't actually with him. And when push came to shove, Mark did anything that he could to get away from Jesus as fast as he could. Mark even ran away naked. That's where some of you are at today. With pants on, thank you very much. But that's where some of you are at today. Some of you, you come here and you, you might have known who Jesus was. You might have watched him. You might have witnessed him. You might be a part of the crowd. You might even be a part of the church. But you don't actually follow Jesus with your life. That's exactly where I was at. That I, I, I gave my life to Jesus, but I was not willing to follow him. I want you to know that you can watch Jesus and you can still not follow him. And that's where Mark was at. That's how Mark spent his life, that he wasn't following Jesus. That's where some of you are at. And I want you to know that where you start doesn't have to be where you finish. And what we'll see from Mark's story is that where he began isn't where he ended because he kept following him. The next time we meet Mark is about 15 years later, that during this period, Jesus had died, Jesus had resurrected, he had ascended, into heaven. He sent the Holy Spirit. And on Pentecost, Peter stood up. Peter preached. 3,000 people got saved. They got filled with the Holy Spirit. They were baptized. And the first church, boom, exploded with growth. And everywhere they went, they're preaching and teaching and telling people about Jesus. They're planting churches, starting community groups. They're joining the serve team. And the church, it just begins to grow. And every time it grows, persecution comes against the church. And 
persecution is happening and there's a man named Peter who was an apostle. He was the pastor. He was the right hand, the leader among equals with the disciples. He becomes the pastor of the first church and he gets arrested and thrown into prison for preaching the gospel. In Acts chapter 12, some of you may be familiar with the story. As Peter is in prison for preaching, an angel comes to Peter and kicks him and says, Peter, you need to get up. You need to get out, setting you free. And the angel opens the doors. Now, Peter, he originally thinks this is a dream. He's like, maybe I'm dreaming. So he just kind of follows the angel until he gets outside and he looks around. He's like, oh, hey, this isn't a dream. I've actually been free. And so he wants to go to the house where all the disciples are at, where they're praying for his release. And he knows exactly where that prayer meeting is happening. And guess where it's at? I'll read it to you. Here's what he says. Acts chapter 12. When he, being Peter, realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark. So John's his Hebrew name. Mark is his Roman name, where many were gathered together and they were praying. So by this time, Mark's about 30, right? He's grown up. He's matured, right? He's given his life to Jesus. He's following Jesus. He's serving in the church. And we see that Mark actually leads a community group. Right, So for you young men, you need to get into a community group. That's just a shameless plug. So Mark's connected into this community group. He's praying for his pastor. He's beginning to grow. And Mark builds quite a reputation. So much so that another man named Paul gets saved. And he comes in to the church at Jerusalem. And Paul wants to plant churches to reach Gentiles. People who are far from God. Um, non-Jewish people. And so Paul's looking to recruit some young men to be able to work with him while they go and plant churches to continue the mission, to be able to serve and to set up. And so he's looking for some strong, able-bodied, you know, very willing young men to get this work done. And Mark's name comes up. And Paul personally recruits Mark for their mission. Well, why would he recruit Mark? Well, the Bible tells us on several occasions that each time Mark's name's mentioned, it says that he was a helper or that he was a servant or that he was an assistant. It says, we chose Mark because Mark is helpful. Here's what I love about Mark. Mark, Mark loves to serve. That Mark, he, he's not a pastor. He's not the preacher, right? He's not on stage. He doesn't lead worship. He's not a drummer in the band. He's not some big evangelist. He doesn't have these crusades. He doesn't have a brand. He doesn't have a logo. He doesn't have a Facebook account. Mark is just the guy who simply loves to serve. Mark's the guy who's behind the scenes making sure that everything happens. Mark knows that his importance isn't determined upon his position. Mark simply loves to serve. And some of you, you need to know this because in your life, you feel as if you're a second-class citizen in the church or in the kingdom because you don't have some big vocal talent, like you're not visible, that your role's not important. I want you to know that that is not true because Mark reminds us that an entire book of the Bible is written by a dude who simply loved to serve others. Never underestimate what you can accomplish by simply serving. I imagine that Mark is the guy, while they're planting churches, Mark's like, hey, when's the trailer getting here? 7.30? Yeah, let me set that up. Oh, hey, we need somebody to pour coffee? I'll be that guy. We need to pass out some bulletins? That's what exactly I'm going to do. You, you want me to tear it all down after we're done? Let's do that. You want me to serve one, sit one, give two Sundays a month to working in the kiddos? Whatever it is that you need me to do, Paul, I'm your guy because I simply love to serve. We need a lot of young men and women with a heart like Mark. People who are here to serve. 
Never underestimate what you can accomplish simply by serving. But that doesn't mean that serving is always going to be easy. That doesn't mean that everything's always going to work out perfectly every single time. That doesn't mean that everything's always going to go your way. That doesn't mean that you're not going to get tired. You're not going to get exhausted. You're not going to be stressed. It doesn't mean that you're not going to quit. It doesn't mean that you're not going to want to give up. It doesn't mean that you're not going to want to go home. Because that's also a part of Mark's story. In fact, Mark doesn't make it out of Acts chapter 13 before everything begins to fall apart. Here's what we see in Acts 13. Now Paul and his companions... This would be Silas and um, Barnabas and others, set sail from Paphos and came to Perga in Pamphylia. And John, which is Mark, left them and returned to Jerusalem. Now, immediately you'd probably think that's kind of benign, right? Oh, Mark left them. Okay. Maybe he just went home. Maybe he was tired. Or maybe he, you know, maybe he just needed a vacation. Maybe he missed his mom. And so he was like, I'm going to go back to Jerusalem. What's the big deal about Mark just leaving them? Mark didn't just leave them. Mark abandoned them. Mark quit. Mark gave up. Mark went home. When things got tough, Mark tapped out. He couldn't handle it. That Mark, he just deserted them in the middle of the mission. And, and this, really, this really upset Paul. Because if you know Paul, he's this hardcore, you know, no-nonsense type of dude. Right? Paul's out planting churches. He's facing bandits. He's getting bit by snakes. He's getting shipwrecked. He's being beaten, thrown into prison, left outside of town, four dead, stoned. This is, this is what Paul is doing. And Mark's supposed to be there by his side. And when everything got too much, Mark quit. And he went home. And this really upset Paul. Because now Paul's alone trying to do what it is that God has called him to do. And it puts him in a tight spot. So whenever Paul comes back to Jerusalem, looking for another round of young men to go plant this church, again, well, Mark's name comes up. Paul says, no. I'm not taking him with me. I'm not doing it. Mark's a failure. Mark's a quitter. I'm not going to have him on my team. I know what Mark is capable of, and I don't want it. And so Paul tells Mark, no. You're not coming. Can you imagine what it would be like to be Mark? Can you, can you think about that? I mean, Paul, the apostle, wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. No. Do you know how defeated Mark must feel? Do you know how disqualified, how discouraging that must be? That's Mark's story. But there's another guy named Barnabas. And Barnabas see something in Mark that Paul doesn't see. And so Barnabas, which his name literally means encouragement, his real name was Joseph, but he's always encouraging people. They're like, hey, let's just call you Barnabas since that's what you do. Barnabas sees something in Mark and he tells Paul, he says, Paul, you can't do this. Paul, you can't just write people off. You can't just give up on them the same way they gave up on you. Sometimes people make mistakes. Sometimes people mess up, but they deserve a second chance. You need to give this young man, you got to give him a shot. Paul says, I ain't giving him a shot. It's done. Barnabas says, well, if you won't take him, I will. And Barnabas takes Mark under his wing. Barnabas begins to invest in Mark and to, to, to teach Mark and to disciple Mark. And Barnabas helps Mark's life change. 
I'm thankful for men like Barnabas. Twelve years ago, I had a man very similar to this experience. His name was Daniel. Whenever I first became a Christian, I was a wreck. I was a total mess. And Daniel saw something in me that nobody else saw. Daniel saw something in me that I didn't even see in myself. And Daniel gave me a shot. And he gave me an opportunity, much, much at his own risk. See, Daniel took a shot when everybody else said, you're wasting your time on him. I mean, whenever we came into church, I talked to him um, a couple of months ago, and it's like, why did you do that? Why did you bring me into your home? How come your wife and my wife became friends? How come we had a community group together? How come you discipled me? Why did you do that? And he said, Byron, it wasn't because people told me it was a good idea. In fact, everybody was telling me that I was, I was making a mistake. And they say, that guy, not worth it, right? He wears all black, right? He's covered in tattoos. He smokes cigarettes, right? He drinks, right? He doesn't even believe in the Bible. Like he is a waste of time for you. Why are you investing in this guy? And he kept doing it anyway. I wouldn't be here today as your pastor if it wasn't for him. Because somebody saw something in me that nobody else saw. Because somebody was willing to give me a second chance. Because somebody saw something in me that I didn't even see in myself. I'm thankful for men and women who have a heart like Barnabas. And so Barnabas tells Paul, if you're not going to take him, I'm going to take him. And he did. And Paul takes Silas and he goes one way. And then Barnabas and Mark, they go another. And everything's silent for about 10 years. We don't hear anything. Right? We know a lot about Paul, but we don't hear anything about them. Here's what we know about Paul. Paul, he gets thrown in prison a lot. He gets arrested a lot. He gets beaten a lot, right? He's in, he's in Rome. He's in prison again for preaching the gospel again. And he's facing his death again. But this time, most likely, it's, it's going to happen. And, and Paul, he's, he's in prison. And he's in Rome. And guess who else just so happens to be in Rome? Our boy Mark. Mark's in Rome at this time, and he hears that Paul is in prison, and Mark goes and serves him. I love that about Mark. That, that Mark, he continues to serve Paul. Him and Paul, they, they reconnect, and they, 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 they form a partnership, and Mark begins to serve Paul, much at his own risk. Maybe even more so than the first time, because this time, he's smuggling in letters, and he's smuggling out the letters, that he's bringing him money, he's bringing him food, that he's arranging the calendar, setting up all the dates, and Mark's serving Paul. And Paul pays Mark some of the highest compliments in all of the New Testament, right? Um, so Mark's, or Paul rather is writing these prison epistles like Ephesians and Philippians and Philemon and Colossians and First and Second Timothy. And as he's writing, he's writing to him and saying, look, my life is over. My race is run. I'm at the end. I'm, I'm, I'm finishing and I am alone. There's nobody here with me. There's nobody by my side. He tells young Timothy, if you can come see me, you better do it quick because I'm not going to make it through the winter. I am about to die and there's no one here by my side except for Mark. I love this. That, that Mark is a reminder for us that the way that our story begins doesn't have to be the way that it ends. Because when we first meet Mark, he was a failure. And when we first meet Mark, he was afraid. And when we first meet Mark, he was not a follower. He was fearful. But then when we meet Mark again, he's faithful. 
that Mark, he was a coward, but now he is courageous, and that when push comes to shove, when everything matters, when it's all on the line, who does Paul call? Who does Paul call? Mark. I love that. That Mark's story didn't end the way that it began. That Mark made some mistakes. That Mark messed up. But Mark didn't allow that to rob him of his opportunities. That Mark kept moving. Mark kept persevering. Mark kept following Jesus despite the setbacks, despite the shortcomings, despite the suffering, despite the circumstance. Mark never quit. He kept following Jesus because where you start doesn't have to be the way that you end. Some of you, you need to know this because you feel so defeated, so discouraged, so disqualified through your sin or through your shame or through what other people said about you that there is no hope, there is no future. I want you to know that is not true, that there is always always a place for you in the kingdom of God, in the church, if you keep moving forward. If you don't believe me, ask Mark. Your story is not over yet. I love Mark. I feel like I could stop preaching right now. (laughs) But we got more to do. So that's the man named Mark. So what 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 is the mission of Mark? Why is Mark writing this story? What does Mark want us to know? What is he hoping to accomplish? What does he want to get done? What is the mission of the book of Mark? Okay, well, um, Mark is writing this book to encourage the church in the midst of their sufferings. See, the church at the time, they're they're suffering because um, they're under the, the rule of a man named Nero. Now, if you're familiar with history, Nero was their Caesar, kind of like their, their king. Right? And, and he was a wicked, godless tyrant of a man. Uh, church, or just rather history in general, tells us that, that Nero went insane um, and he set fire to the city of Rome and he just laughed while it burned to the ground. Okay? Not a good dude, bad dude. The Romans didn't even like Nero. The Romans were like, we got to get rid of this guy. So they devised a plan to kill him. Well, he catches wind of this plan. And he needs to come up with something to counteract that because his approval ratings are very low. He needs to get his PR back up. And so he, he says, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to blame the fire on the Christians. And so he blames the fire on the Christians. And then he's, you know, the, the Roman officials, the, the military, the police, the government, they all begin to arrest and to capture and to kill the Christians in the very first church. It was a very dangerous time. It was a very painful time. It was a very scary time to be a Christian during that day. And Mark's writing to encourage the church in the midst of their suffering. Here's what Tacitus, a historian, says about what it looked like to be a Christian in the first century. Here's what he writes. He, being Nero, punished with the utmost refinements of cruelty, a class of men despised for their vices, who the crowd called Christians. Confessed members of the sect were arrested, then on their confessions, which would sound like Jesus is Lord, Huge numbers were convicted, not on the charge of arson, but the hatred of the human race. Mocking accompanied their end. They were covered with skins of wild animals. They were torn to death by dogs. They were hung on crosses. And when sunlight failed, their bodies were burned to serve as lamps at night. This is what it looks like to be a Christian in the first church. This is what it looks like to say, I believe in Jesus. This is what it looks like to say, I follow Jesus. To say, Jesus is Lord. This is life. And Mark's writing to encourage the church to keep following Jesus even in the midst of their sufferings. 
And one of the things that I love about Mark is he's not immune to the people he serves. He's not that guy who's standing over there and be like, okay, y'all go do those things. Good luck. I'm going to be over here. That's not the type of guy Mark is. That, that Mark, in fact, he is, um, he's right there with them, even in the midst of their sufferings. Mark's story, actually, um, the way that he dies is, um, there's a book called Fox's Book of Martyrs, and it talks about, um, it talks about the death of the very first Christians, and it mentions Mark. That Mark, he was in a city called um, Alexandria, and as he was serving the church there, he was arrested, and they tied his arms and his legs and his neck to horses. And in the town square, all the horses run in opposite directions, ripped his body in pieces, disemboweled him, beheaded him, and they left his guts and his head right in the middle of the city and said, this is what happens when you follow Jesus. Mark's not immune to the sufferings in which his church is experiencing. And he's writing this letter to encourage their church in the midst of their sufferings. That's why one of the things you pick up as you read through the story is that Jesus is presented as the suffering servant. Over and over again, you get this idea about Jesus as he's a suffering servant. So starting off in Mark 1, we see that Jesus, immediately following his baptism, he goes into the wilderness where he's being tempted by Satan. You see that the wild animals are, are surrounding him in verse 12. That's an obvious reference to the Roman persecution in which they're experiencing. And then you keep reading, and you see John the, ba the Baptist is beheaded. You see that people are oppressing him. The religious leaders, they hate him. The Roman government, they hate him. You see that the disciples, they abandon him, that his friends and family, they deny him. Everywhere you look, there's people who are demon-possessed, there's people who are sick, there's people who are hurting, there's people who are suffering. And all the while, Jesus is constantly, continually predicting his death because Jesus says that he is that suffering servants. And Mark's writing, giving them this idea about who Jesus is, how Jesus lived, and what Jesus did. We see a great example of this in Mark chapter 10. Um, and and Jesus' disciples, they've been following him for a while, but they still don't really understand who Jesus actually is. They think that Jesus has come to, to bring this new earthly kingdom, like, like he was going to set up an empire, very similar to the, to the religious leaders and to the Roman government. And so they think that Jesus is going to institute this, this earthly empire. And they're like, Jesus, when are you going to dismantle the government? Jesus, when are you going to turn the religious institutions upside down? This is what our plan is. This is what our goal is. This is the reason that Jesus comes. Jesus says, that's not why I came. The disciples, they're arguing. They're saying, they're saying who's going to be the boss? When Jesus brings this new empire, who's going to be the boss? Who's going to be the leader? Who's going to be the ruler? Who's going to get you know, front row seats? Who's going to be at the second hand whenever Jesus brings about this new movement? And Jesus says, that's not why I came. I didn't come to bring an earthly empire. I didn't come to bring a culture. But I came to bring a kingdom. Here's how Jesus says it in Mark chapter 10. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. Okay? So the culture will lord over their people. This is what you need to do. 
this is what is right. This is what is true. You need to listen to me. You need to act this way or else they lord. The Gentile, the rulers of the Gentile would lord over their people. That's the way the culture worked. He goes on and says that the great ones exercised authority over them. The culture would say, if you want to be successful, if you want to be popular, if you want to be this way, then you need to do these things. And they exercised their authority over them. And people lived in fear. People lived as slaves. People lived um, just in constant refrain of misunderstanding and misinformation. And they didn't know what to do because the way that the world works is that it would keep them down. And Jesus says, that's not the way we do things. See, you need to know there is a difference between the, the, the culture and the kingdom. The way that Christians live is different. The way that we think, the way that we act, the way that we operate, the way that we love, the way that we serve, the way that we give, all of those things are different because we don't live according to the culture. We live according to the kingdom. And Jesus says that the way I do things is not the way that this world works. You came expecting one thing, but you're getting something different. I didn't come for culture. I came for this kingdom. And here's, here's how he says it. Not so for you, but whoever wants to be great among you must become a servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must become a slave to all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. You really pick up on Mark's heart here, right? That Mark, he, he sees himself as a servant because Mark sees Jesus as a servant. That Mark, Mark sees Jesus and he says, guys, listen, I know it's hard. I know that it's difficult. I know that it's complicated. I know that not everything makes sense. I know that life is, life is painful, but keep following Jesus anyway. Look at Jesus' life. Jesus knows exactly what it is that you're going through. Jesus lived that way. Jesus was poor. He was homeless. Jesus couldn't pay his taxes. Jesus gets it. Jesus had friends who deserted them, family members who betrayed him. Jesus totally understands it. Jesus was hated. Jesus was talked bad about. Jesus was despised. Jesus was even killed. Jesus gets it. Keep looking to Jesus. Despite the circumstances, despite the situations, keep following Jesus because he sees that Jesus' life was to love and to serve and to give. And he tells you, do not give up. Keep following him. It may not be easy. It may not be popular, but keep following Jesus anyway. That's the message of Mark to a persecuted and suffering church. Now, this still applies for us today. Now, on one hand, look, you're not getting persecuted, at least not like this. Okay, like no one's getting arrested and thrown into jail for talking about Jesus. Right? I meet people and they're like, I'm being persecuted for my faith. Like, no, you're not. You're not being persecuted. You might be being made fun of. Okay, but what's new for you? I mean, you're not being persecuted. We're like, well, they criticized me. Did they kill you? No? Then it's a good day, right? Go home, kiss your wife, raise your kids, praise your God. You're here, okay? So you're not being persecuted for your faith. However, in America, there is a cultural shame that comes along with being a Christian. There is just, just this turning of the tide there's this shift that's happening and there is this cultural shame that comes along with following Jesus. I mean, not just saying like, I'm a Christian. Okay? Because a lot of people claim to be Christians, eh, but they're not. 
A lot of people are like Mark, like, oh, I'm a follower of Jesus. But when push comes to shove, they run away. See, it's one thing to say, I believe in Jesus. It's another thing to live your life for him. It's something different to, to base your life off of the scriptures and then to be faithful according to those things. That's totally different than saying, I'm a Christian. And so there is this cultural shame that comes along with following Jesus. Okay, so we know a guy who got saved in our church, went home, and was like, hey, I'm a Christian now. And they're like, oh, what, you think you're better than us? Right? I mean, there's just, there's just this thing that, that's happening. And so, you know, you're not going to get a lot of bonus points for waving the Jesus flag. Like, if you get on Facebook and you start talking about things like sin, what? Oh, you, you believe in the authority of the scriptures? Right, you start talking about repentance, start talking about the Holy Spirit, just see what kind of, just see what kind of responses you get. Right, go to work and start telling people that Jesus is the only way. Talk about the exclusivity of the gospel. Go down to college, start talking about things like abortion and sexuality and the complementary roles of gender. Tell somebody you're a virgin and you're waiting until marriage to have sex and you're not going to move in with your boyfriend or girlfriend. What, people like you still exist? Right, what kind of rock did you climb out from under? Right? I mean, w w this is 2018. You can't believe in those things. That's, that's outdated. You're not going to be the most popular person in your friends group for living your life according to this. Mark's saying, doesn't matter. That's not the point anyway. The point of following Jesus is not to be the most popular the point of following Jesus is not to be the most likable, the most lovable, the most, the most attractive, the most successful. That's not the point. The point is be faithful. That's the mission. That we are to be faithful. That we are to be kingdom people in the midst of our culture. He says, doesn't matter. Keep following Jesus. Be faithful. That's the mission. So what about the message? Okay, what's the, what does Mark want us to know? What's the message of the book of Mark? We have the man, we have the mission. Now we need to get into the, the message. So if you got your Bibles, turn with me to Mark chapter 1, verse 1. We actually haven't even hit that yet. So let's go ahead and go back to Mark and let's see what is the message of the book of Mark. Here's what he says in Mark 1, 1. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ the Son of God. So Mark starts off by letting us know exactly what his book is about. He tells us from the very beginning, he doesn't hold anything back. He says, this is the big idea. This is the bottom line. This is the big EI on the I chart. Like we want you to know this. This is the most important, most prominent, the most preeminent. This is the most important thing. And if you miss this, then you miss everything. Mark says the message of this book is about Jesus. I love that. That Mark starts by telling us about Jesus. And so let's just do that. Let's talk about who Jesus is. I think that is a great idea. So normally, if you're like me, you would just blow right past Mark 1.1. You're like, okay, in the beginning, let's get over to the good stuff. We got two years. Let's not. Let's actually study everything that Mark has to say. And so Mark's going to tell us about Jesus. This is the story of the life of Christ. His, his, his preachings, his teachings, his healings, his miracles, his words, his works, his wonders, his death, burial, and his resurrection. But I don't want you to think about it in terms of a biography. While in one sense it is a biographical sketch, it's not just a historical bi biography, but rather it's a historical theology. That it's about the life of Jesus, but not just so you can understand who Jesus is. See, there's a lot of people who know that Jesus lived. 
There's a lot of people who, who know, okay, here's who Jesus is, and here's some of the things that Jesus said. He was a good guy. There's a lot of people who know who Jesus is, but not a lot of people actually follow him. There is a big difference. You can know who Jesus is without actually knowing him. The point of Mark is not just the life of Christ, but that Christ's life could be lived in you so that way you can live your life for him. That is the message that Mark is telling us about Jesus. So who is Jesus? He tells us three things. That Jesus Christ, Son of God. Okay, the first thing he tells us about Jesus is that Jesus is our Savior. The word Jesus literally means the Savior. Okay, it's an Old Testament derivative of the name Joshua or Yeshua, which means God saves or he will save us from our sins. And so he's telling us, here's who Jesus is, that Jesus is our Savior, that we have sinned, that we have fallen, that we have separated ourselves from God, but God sends his son Jesus. He doesn't leave us as he founds us, that he makes a way for us to be saved. God sends Jesus because Jesus is our Savior. The second thing he says is he's our Christ. Okay, that word Christ, um, it, it, it's not his last name. Okay, so you think, okay, Jesus Christ. If you were looking at his driver's license, that was what it'd say. Jesus Christ, okay? That's actually not what it is. Uh, Christ is a title. Christ refers to the Old Testament. It's a title for a king. It means the anointed one, the chosen one, the Messiah, or the king. And in the Old Testament, when somebody's being anointed as king, they would pour oil on them, and then everybody knew, hey, that is our king. And so Mark is saying that Jesus is our king that he rules and that he reigns and that he's bringing in this new kingdom, this new way of life, this new way of living because Jesus is the king. And then he tells us that Jesus is the son of God. He's talking about his nature, his character, his divinity, that Jesus is co-equal, co-eternal in authority with God because Jesus is God. He's telling us that if you've seen Jesus, then you've seen God. That the way that God works, the way that God loves, the way that God thinks, the way that God moves, this is, this is God. He's telling us that Jesus Christ is God. And each one of these three things, they, they form a theme. And, and they weave in and out of Mark's book. And all of this culminates into what Mark would call his gospel. Now, when we hear the word gospel, it means something different to us than what it originally meant for Mark. Okay? When we hear gospel, we probably think about this. And we think about, oh, there's the four Gospels. Okay, it's the story in the life of Jesus. Well, in one sense, that's true. That's not actually what Mark is getting at when he uses this word gospel. That word, it, it, it means good news. Okay, in, in the Greek, it's the evangelion. It means the, the announcement, the proclamation, the, the good news. And so Mark's saying, I have some good news for you. I have good news, great news, wonderful news. This news is going to change your life. And Mark is saying, I got good news that Jesus is our Savior. I got good news that Jesus is our King. I got good news that Jesus is God because Jesus is the gospel and there is good news for you. Now some of us, we're going to struggle with this. We're really going to wrestle with this because as you're coming to your Bible and you, you're reading it and you open up Mark, you're going to wrestle because you're going to read this 2,000-year-old book and you're going to wonder, what does this have to do with me? Right? You're reading it and you're like, I, I see this story. I just don't really know how this applies for my life. It does, I don't get anything out of it. One of the things that I hear most often from honest people is that they don't really get anything out of the Bible. 
They're like, ah, I tried to read it. It didn't really make sense. I didn't get anything out of it, so I just closed it. Right? That's what I hear from most honest people. They didn't get anything out of it. And so what we're going to do is we're going to come to this and we're going to have our problems and we're going to interject them into the scriptures. So we're going to say, okay, well, um, I'm, having really, I'm having marriage problems and so I'm going to read the Bible. Okay, just tell me what to do. Just give, me, just give me three simple steps. I know it took me 20 years to wreck my marriage. Maybe in two verses I could figure out the answer. Right? And so you come to the Bible and you think, okay, well, let me just figure this out. Let me figure this out. Oh, well, I don't get anything out of it. And then others, maybe you have financial struggles and you're like, well, taxes is due next week and I don't have any money. Let's see if I can find anything in there. Maybe I can watch one of those television preachers and they'll teach me how to get rich. And so we come into the Bible and we, we, we import our own pain and problems into the scriptures and we think, well, how come I'm not getting anything? And we come to it and we look for it like it's good advice. Just give me some good advice. Just give me 10 simple steps to live my best life. Just tell me what to do. Just tell me some good advice. I want you to know this book is not good advice. This book is good news. It's good news for those who are hurting. It's good news for those who are suffering. It's good news for those who are in pain. Why? Because it's not about you. It's about him. And that's good news because you can't handle it. You can't. It doesn't depend on you. That's good news because it doesn't have to break you anymore. It's good news that it's not about you. That frees you up. For those of you with marriage troubles, good news. It's not about you. It's about Jesus. I got good news for those with financial struggles. It's not about you. It's because of Jesus. For those who are sick, for those who are suffering, for those who are hurting, for those with depression and despair, for those who feel discouraged and down and out, I got good news for you. It's not about you. Stop pretending that it is. It's all about Jesus. Mark says, good news. It's about Jesus. That Jesus is our Savior. That Jesus is our King. And that Jesus is our God. The gospel is very simple. The answer to all of our problems is the right understanding of the gospel. Friends, we misdiagnose our problem. We think our problem is our situation. No, friends, our problem is our sin. We're too busy looking at symptoms and we're never getting to the cause. We're too busy focusing on the, the limbs on the tree and we're never cutting down the root. The problem to all of your pain is our sin. So how do we fix that? It's the gospel. The good news about Jesus, that's the answer. The answer to your marriage, hey, it's a right understanding of the gospel. The answer to your finances is a right understanding of the gospel. The answer to your, to, to your relational struggles, for your anxiety, for your exhaustion, the answer to those things is a right understanding of the gospel. And so let me ask you a couple of questions as we close. These are the most important questions. The way that you answer these questions determine not only what you're going to get out of Mark, but it determines the way that you live your life. This question may be the most important question that you will ever ask yourself. The way that you answer this doesn't only, it's not only the hinge that holds Mark together, this is the hinge that holds your life together. These three questions could change everything. First question is this. Is Jesus your Savior? Friends, this question matters. See, our problem is our sin. The solution is the gospel. 
that Jesus is our Savior, that he lived the perfect life, that he died the painful death, that he was the substitute in our place, that his blood was shed as the ransom for our sins. Is Jesus your Savior? The second question is, Jesus, your King. See, a lot of people have Jesus as Savior, but not very many people have Jesus as King. There's a difference. See, for the church, they would have known that, that Nero was their king. And they would have lived their lives in fear, in slavery, giving themselves over to something that could never actually do what they said. Is Jesus your king? See, many people, they still live in fear of slavery. And they serve something other because they have a different king that they're giving themselves over to other things. And, and so Mark is coming in and he's telling the church, he's saying, we have a new king. You don't have to be afraid anymore. Or you don't have to live a life of slavery. You have been delivered. Right? We have a new king. There's a new way. There's a new life. There's a new time. There's a new place. There is a new way of living because we have this new king. Let me ask you, is Jesus your king? The third question, is Jesus your God? If Jesus is who he said he is, if Jesus did the things that he said that he did, if Mark's gospel is true and Jesus is in fact God, this changes everything. It changes who you are, it changes how you live, it changes how you love others, it changes how you give, it changes how you serve. This simple question changes everything. If Jesus is God, then everything changes. Listen, friends, we live in a day and age to where there's so much confusion and controversy surrounding the person of Jesus. Well, it, it, who was Jesus? What did he do? Did he actually live? Right? Was he just a teacher? Was he just a healer? Was he some rabbi? Right? Who, what, what, what did Jesus say? What, Mark says, let me make this very simple for you. There is only one Savior. There is only one King. There is only one God. There is only one cause, one reason, one man, one purpose, one gospel. His name is Jesus. Let me make it very simple for you, friends. One word. Jesus, because Jesus is the gospel. The way you answer these questions determines everything, in, out. So who do you say that Jesus is? You need to think about that. You need to go home, and you need to pray on that, and you need to figure out, is Jesus my Savior? Really? Or is it just things that I've been taught growing up? Is Jesus really my King? Maybe you need to check the things that are happening in your life and maybe they'll be able to answer that question more than your mental assent. Third question, is Jesus your God? What are you hoping in? What are you trusting in? What are you praying to? My hope and my prayer for us as a church as we study this, this book is that no matter who we are, no matter where we come from, no matter what's going on in our life, we'll know that yeah, life is complicated. The gospel is simple. No matter what we're walking through, no matter if you're a new Christian, a mature Christian, no matter if you've been following Jesus for five months or 50 years, you would come to this deep conviction, understanding this knowledge, this, this insight on the life of Jesus so that Jesus' life can be lived in you and you can live a life for Him. That life is complicated, but friends, I want you to know
The gospel is simple. Because of Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the book of Mark. Thank you so much for this man whose story was life was changed. Thank you for reminding us that where we start doesn't have to be where we finish. Thank you for godly examples like Mark to show us that there's always next steps, there's always second chances, there's always room for growth. Father, let the mission of Mark be resolute for us as a church, that in the midst of this culture, God, that we would be kingdom people. Lord, that we wouldn't look to other people or what they say or what other people are doing, but Father, we would look to see what your Spirit's doing. And we would follow you and trust you and we would hope in you that even though it may not be easy, God, it's worth it. Father, thank you for this message that you are our Savior, that we don't have to be in our sins anymore, that we have been forgiven. Lord, thank you for this message, God, that you are our King. Lord, you are a good King. You're a good, compassionate wise, loving King. Father, thank you for being our King. And Lord, you're our God. Jesus, you are God. And that you laid down your life so that way we can be with you. Everything else pales in comparison to this. Let us not be so focused on our circumstances or our culture. But let us keep our eyes fixed on the kingdom of God. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, as I was preaching today, man, I could just feel this in the room. Some of y'all are hurting. Some of y'all, man, I don't even know. You're hurting so bad. I could just feel as I'm talking about Mark and I feel the discouragement in the room. When I'm talking about Jesus and the suffering he's going through, I feel the, the pain that you feel in your life. Some of you, you're on the fence. As I'm talking about Jesus being the message, you're just hit with this. And you're realizing, hey, I might not actually be in. Mark is going to challenge us more than anything else. And you need to start today. We need, we need people praying. So I'm going to invite my prayer team to go in the back because I just, as I'm preaching, I don't do this. I don't cry. Because y'all know me for two years. I don't cry, right? I cried a lot when I was a teenager. I was an emo kid. But now I don't cry. Like I yell. But some of you, man, I'm preaching and it hurts. It hurts because you hurt. As your pastor, I love you so much. My whole sermon was just kind of wrong because it just went a different direction. I skipped parts. But I'm hurting because I know you are. You feel defeated. You feel discouraged. I want you to know that's not true. So I'm going to invite you to come pray. Our prayer team's in the back. We would love to pray for you. Don't go through this alone. And we're going to take communion and we're going to respond. God's word calls us to respond. And if he, if he knows to tell me this while I'm preaching, he knows you need it. So I want you to respond. Our altars are open. Communion is served. I love y'all.
Redemption Church meets every Sunday morning on Crockett Street at the gig. If you would like to know more, you can find us online at www.redemptiontx.com or join us for one of our two services at 9.30 or 11.15 a.m. Sunday mornings in downtown Beaumont. Kids are welcome too. We are Redemption, and we would love to meet you.